Hello, this is Kevin McMullen, Senior Pastor of Independence Christian Center. Thanks for joining us as we break the bread of life today. Our prayer is that your faith in our Lord Jesus Christ is strengthened by this word. God bless you. Hallelujah. We're beginning to wind our series on grace in the darkness down. This one may be the last one, although there may be one more just as the Lord would lead. And uh, it's been a very interesting series, and I'm, uh, I've got a few more things that I really feel like the Lord's put in my heart to say, so if we may get them done today and we may not, but we'll, we'll get there one way or another. I am encouraged that a message does not have to be eternal to be uh, effective. Amen. All right. Um, in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 9, one of the Beatitudes, Jesus said, Blessed are the peacemakers... For they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Now, as is usually the case with the scripture, there's a lot more there than meets the eye. And so we're going we're gonna to dig into that. We live in a really, really exciting time. Of course, it, war is exciting too. Just not in a positive way. How I many of you know what I'm saying? And it is Getting more, uh, uh, I don't know if the current generation says this, I I think they do, and that is, this is about to get real. Meaning it's, you know, when the Lord showed us the acceleration, that, as I said a couple of weeks ago or last week, you could, could, uh, a synonym for that in terms of that is intensification. It's intensifying. There are a number of things that are lining up. And I'm here to tell you, it's like, the, uh, um, you know, uh, uh, the, 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 the structure of man, particularly here in the West, is so undermined and so termite-eaten and, and all of that. And while it may look on the outside like everything is solid, it is not. It is unstable. And the cracks are beginning to show, but believe me, it will pick up speed. And this is going to be a great opportunity. Some of you have probably heard about the revival that's happening in Wilmore, Kentucky at Asbury. There, a lot of, you know, one of my professors went to Asbury Theological Seminary, which is right there as well. And I am excited about that because, I, I'm, because a, a movement among the youth is awesome. It has to happen there. It really does. But that doesn't mean that those of us who are old don't have any role in what God's about to do. Everybody say amen. In fact, he has been preparing us for a thousand years. No, it seems like it. For, well, 30 years anyway, for exactly what the, 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 the things that we're seeing. Because in this series, we've been talking about the decline and failure of the West. Every day, it seems like I see new evidence of rot and, and, and corruption. I read, I think it was yesterday, about a Satanist club wanting to have their club in, in, in Virginia in the high school because there's a Satanist temple, a satanic temple there in that city. And they're wanting to start. And they're saying, if, they, if the Christians can have their Bible club, we should be able to have our Satan club. David Wilkerson said that was going to happen back in the 70s. He said that exact thing was going to happen. And, you know, we see 
the, 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 the lying and the, and the prevarication and, the, and all the corruption and all of that up there to the point that no, it is undeniable to any objective observer, you know, with any knowledge of history at all. And whether or not you lay blame at the, you know, if for all this at the feet of spiritual corruption, the moral and ethical corruption we are seeing is undeniable. And by every objective historical metric, all right? And this isn't political. This isn't in your face political. That's not what I'm talking about because this affects your life and mine directly. It is imperative, as we said last week, that facing the future, we not be in fear, that we be confident. The biblical word for hope means confidence. We'll see that. Confidence. And that God can, God has, God is, and God will set a table for his people in the wilderness. And in the very presence of our enemies, if necessary. We've got to be confident about that. Within the midst of trouble and pressure. Even when it looks impossible. Well, in fact, I'll say it this way. Especially if it looks impossible. If we were, how many of you ever studied in school, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you know, and, it, you know, you get this little, you know, pyramid or a ladder or whatever. And, you know, we, we talk about God ministering to us and keeping us and feeding us and guiding us and all those things. Saints, as wonderful as those are, that's the bottom rung of the ladder. That, those are the things that we come to the place where we take for granted that it will be there. Most of our children our ch grew up, well, my children and now my uh, grandson who lives with us, he doesn't worry when he comes home from school every day whether we're going to be there. Or at least Nana is going to be there. He doesn't worry about whether there's going to be anything to eat tonight. Now, I know there are places where little children do. And the number of kids in that kind of a situation is, is growing, and I, and I am aware of that. But I'm talking about, in this situation, he's not concerned. When he gets off the bus, he doesn't say, is there anything to eat tonight? Am I going to have to go to bed hungry? Is, do I have a place to sleep? Do I have clothes to wear? He doesn't even worry about that. He focuses on other stuff. Well, that's the way we need to be, that we get to the point that we don't even worry about the provision because we are so confident that it's going to be there, that our focus isn't about trying to, to, to hunter-gather everything together, but to do the will of God. Because he has a mission for us. Everybody say amen. You know, we have, it's, it's great to believe God for prosperity and all those things, but we have bigger fish to fry. Prosperity is important, but it's a means to an end, not the end in itself. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, Paul says this, Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Now that word me is not in the, uh, is not in the text. It's supplied by the New American translators, and I'll come back to that in a minute. No soldier, everybody say, I'm a soldier. In active service entangles himself. I love that word entangle because it's the word implicato. We get our word implicate directly from it. No active soldier or, or soldier on active duty 
becomes implicated, entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life, gets bogged down with that so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. Now, let me give you a little different rendering from the NIV, the 84 version of it. And it says, endure hardship with us. With us. You're part of the army. And Paul's saying, hey, I'm not the only one. Endure hardship with us as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets involved in or bogged down, it was the way we would say it, with civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer. God has chosen. And you've got to believe this. You know, we, we're strong about saying that, that gender assignment at birth is no accident. That God is the one who determines that. And God determines, you know, if we believe that, then we've got to believe that unless we have been running from God and have been unbelievably uh, unfaithful to him, that he has us where he wants us to be with the people he uh, wishes us to be with and to do, ready to do what he's called us to do. Even if it's unspectacular in the eyes of many or anyone. Because we're not rewarded on how flashy our ministry was, but how faithful we were to do it. God has chosen, back to the soldier thing. When I joined the army, they sent me what they seemed to think that I should do whatever they said. They seemed to think that I should go wherever they sent me. I'll never forget when they block allocated our entire AIT class to West Berlin, to the field station that was there. This is back in Soviet days. 55 Soviet divisions surrounding our station, plus the East German uh, Army and uh, their, their, their Air Force there, plus the Poles, who were at the time part of the Warsaw Pact, only 60 miles away. We would watch as they did Warsaw Pact exercises, usually about the time that we did Reforger from the other side. And they would, all these troops would flood. In fact, the joke at Field Station Berlin was that we, that, that the wall around Berlin was, act, that we were not actually a free city. We were the law, world's largest prisoner of war camp. And the Soviets, just to let us know occasionally that they had us dialed in, would shoot out of their artillery big sacks of flour. And they would land. We, we, we had infantry. There was us in the intelligence group. And then there was infantry and there was armor and there was artillery in the city. Now, I want you to think about it. We had Company F of, uh, well, I can't remember the, the, the armored brigade that was there. They had their, this was before the M1. We had M60 tanks and all that. And they're all over there. And once in a great while, uh, the troops would wake up to a whoop on the roof. And they go up to see what it was. And it was a big old sack of flour that the Russians had shot over the wall and landed right on the barracks, letting us know, we know your address. You know, the enemy loves to intimidate. Are you with me? Because if he can get us into fear, that means he's got us out of faith. faith. Fear is faith working in the negative direction. 
you and I have to believe we are where God has posted us. You know, when they, when they block assigned us to Berlin, I mean, we thought we could go to uh, Thailand. We could have gone to Okinawa. We could have gone to Augsburg, Germany. We could have gone to Sinop, Turkey. We could have gone, and we're glad we didn't go, to Shimia, Alaska. Third line, I think it's the third island from the end of the Aleutian chain. Horrible place to be. And uh, there were numbers of, 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 of destinations where we had, uh, we had installations. And they block allocated the whole class to Berlin. And I'm sitting there thinking, wait a minute, we've got all the enemy all the way around us. And so when they did it, they finally said, you know, and I'm the eternal jokester. And the sergeant first class who had read us our, uh, read us our assignment said, are there any questions? And I raised my hand. He said, McMullen. I said, uh, sir, I'm pretty sure that given the military situation over there, my mother will not let me go. He just looked at me like, you're an idiot. <laughs> you know, I didn't have a choice. I had to go. Some of the guys, they're freaked out. I watch guys freak out because just having uh, the, that city with walls all around, just, it, it, just, it, just, it just bothered them. They didn't have confidence. Everybody say amen. All right. God has chosen to station us, to post us, to assign us at this time in history. In this present darkness, this is a temporary assignment. We are TDY. We are temporary duty because the day will come when this, this time of history will be over. The war will be over. Jesus will have, the Father will have put all of Jesus' enemies under his feet and will be on to the next thing for eternity. And this will be but a glorious memory of victory. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 3. Uh, actually, one through six. For now, listen to this. Now, as for the times and the epochs, the how longs or the and the whens or the whens and the how longs, brethren, you have no need of anything to be written to you, for you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While they are saying peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly. So we know that's yet to come, do we not? Destruction is coming. Well, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. That just gives me hope. <laughs> like, but everybody say, them. Them. He did not say destruction will come upon us. How many of you know there is a difference between those two pronouns? Them, us. Destruction will come upon them. Suddenly, like labor pains upon a woman with child. We're seeing that, are we not? And they will not escape. But you, brethren, but you, when you say but. It's like the person that says, man, I'll tell you what, you're pretty smart. I really like the answer you gave in class today. You're a sharp dresser, but. When they say, but, you know something very contrary is about to follow. And that's what it is here. Destruction, problems, trouble, labor pains, not escape, but you. Everybody say, but me. Brethren are not in darkness that the day would overtake you like a thief. 
For you are all sons of light. Hallelujah. If you're a son of God, you are a son of the, you're the son of light. Sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. So let's stay awake. Don't sleep like others do. But let us be alert and sober. We are lights in this world. Now, think about that. You don't have any need of the times of the epics, which the Father has sent. You know, you, know, uh, you, know, you don't need to know about. Listen to Acts 1 and 7. This was earlier, much earlier. This is when, before Jesus was taken in the uh, ascension to heaven. And he said to them, Jesus speaking, it is not for you to know the times or the epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses. Both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. We're going to talk about that Samarian thing tonight in our uh, Sunday evening class on Acts. We are, when he says, you shall be my witnesses, that includes us. Not just the apostles. Because we're all sons of light. We are all called. Yet the scripture is clear. Only a remnant will answer that call. Yes, many are called. But few answer that call. To be honest. They, they are the ones who are chosen. They have chosen to follow. I'm going to stay with this army and soldier, if you want to put Marine Corps in there, fine, works for me. But I don't, if I'm going to be a, a soldier in the sense that I'm going to be a combat troop, I don't want to be the very best I can be. I want all the training I can get. I want the best weaponry. I want the best training. I want everything. In the Army, we referred to infantry as grunts. You know, what did we not? Do we have army guys? Yep, there we are. Grunts. And if you say, you know, what's that guy do? Well, he's a grunt. 11 Bravo, you know, 11 Bush, whatever. Yeah, and, and so they were, they were grunts. And that's what we called them. Why? Because a grunt is like the lowest level of something. In fact, if you say, well, it's grunt work. You know, what's grunt work? Grunt work is menial stuff. A lot of times when they're not training, what were the infantry out doing? Painting rocks. They, you know, they, they, have some, they have to have something for you to do all the time, right? So everybody, we're going to move all this stuff out of this warehouse and move it over to that warehouse. You spend the whole day doing that. The next day you get up, we're going to move everything out of this warehouse and move it over to that warehouse. If you think, you might say, that's stupid. No, that's military. If you've never been there, trust me, that's the way it is. And... Undoubtedly, you know, it was applied to the military because, you know, and to the infantry in special, in particular, because of the, a lot of the menial stuff they have to do. I trained as, as, as a grunt. Everyone who goes into the army trains to be, at least to a certain extent, to be a grunt. I have been training to be a grunt in God's army. And that's an honorable place, you know. I am a, I'm hoping to get out of the, from the, a second class grunt to a first class grunt. But you know what? If you're going to be one of the, the best of the best, it means there's discipline. It means there's training. Discipline and discipleship go hand in hand because they're from the same root. 
if I want to be more, if I want to be a tier one operator, if I want to be the people, one of the guys that goes in to a situation that is very, very tense or something, you know, where they need the best of the best of the best, then that means train, 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 train. Our top, our best of the best shoot thousands of rounds per month. They're out at the range all the time. Even if they're not deployed, they're out at the range all the time. And if they're on a deployment, if they've got special, even when they have time between action, they're training. Why? Because these things have to be second nature. They have to be able to turn, pivot, shoot, and shoot accurately, quickly. And it has to be second nature, and it has to remain second nature. Now, I want to take that level of skill, and I want to mix my metaphor here just a little bit, and move it over and say that in the Christian world, that is spiritual maturity. That God has been doing his best to grow his church up, make them mature, make them adults, so that they are not swept away by every wind of doctrine and every stupid thing they hear on the news or every goofy thing they read on the internet and that their confidence is in God. Yet, it has been a bane. It has been very unstylish. It has been old school among Christians in the West in particular in the last 20 years or so to have to, you know, we've had whole theologies built around how you don't need to grow, you don't need to mature, you don't need to do anything. God doesn't place any demands on you. God doesn't expect anything out of you. You know, now that you've gotten your ticket punched for heaven, you can just relax and do whatever, go wherever, smoke whatever, sleep with whoever, whatever. And I'm here to tell you that that is a lie from hell. And so much that God has us do is the little stuff. Zechariah chapter 4 and verse 10, when uh, the angel asked the prophet, it was a rhetorical question, who has despised the day of small things? Who has thought the day of small things is of really no consequence? Well, just about every American. Amen. Luke, here's, here's, here's an example. Luke 17, beginning with verse 5. And the apostles, after being confronted with the need to forgive, said to the, to the Lord, increase our faith. Now, that's the question. They said, increase our faith. So what follows is a direct response to that request. How many of you follow me? And the Lord said, if you had faith like a mustard seed, you would say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. We all talk about mountain moving faith. Tree moving faith, <laughs> whatever. But then he goes and he gets even more particular. He gets down to some of the nitty gritty. Which of you having a slave plowing or tending sheep will say to him when he has come in from the field, come immediately and sit down and eat. But will he not say to him, prepare something for me to eat? Properly clothe yourself and serve me while I eat and drink and afterward you may eat and drink. 
He doesn't thank the slave because he did the things which were commanded, does he? So you too, when you do all the things which are commanded you, you say, we are unworthy slaves. We have only done that which we have ought, ought to have done. What is the answer to increase my faith? By putting my hand to the plow, doing what the Lord has for me to do, being on station, being on point, being in the ministry, and then coming into his presence, setting the table for him to eat, which is what we do at the first of every worship service. Remember, in the Old Testament, the typology of the olah, the burnt offering, or the zavak shalamim, the, particularly the, the peace offerings, was that God was getting his food. And it, they knew that that wasn't true, and God never said it that way. But that was, it was typology. It was symbolism. And so in the, in the communion meal, in the f- fellowship offering, what they would do is they would bring the animal. The animal would be, would be sacrificed and then God would get his portion. The priest would get his portion. And then once the animal was cooked, it, the, the, the offerer and his or her family would get their portion. It was a communion meal. God got his part. The priest got his part and the family got their part. But God got His part first. When we come in to the presence of God, when we walk in that door and we begin and we pray this way, when we're getting ready to do our run through as a as a band and to to, you know, the worship team begins to, you know, we begin to to get our 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 list, which we usually follow up in front of us. You know, we pray, oh, God, flow through us, help us. To worship you. Help us to adore you. Help us to offer up as a sweet smelling savor. Our sacrifice of praise and our adoration. So that it will be a soothing aroma. Well pleasing to you. It is the idea of the sacrifice placed on the altar. That goes up in smoke. And it's a soothing aroma to the Lord. And as we do so. We are in a in a symbol, symbolically setting the Lord's table before him. So many people want God to set their table, but they don't want to set his. And he is so good and so merciful and so loving that he does bless us, even though sometimes we're not all there. Or even, you know, you know the, he causes the rain to come on the just and the unjust as well. But how much better is it to satisfy the heart of God? So we come, so we've been out doing the work of the ministry. We've been out doing, that's what Luke 17 is all about. We've been out doing the work of the ministry. We've been out laboring. We're doing the things that he had us to do. And then we still come into his presence and set the table before him. Oh, by the way, we properly clothe ourselves. That's what it said. Now, does that mean, am, am I hanging out a clothesline as I used to say? No, it means that we come dressed in the righteousness Provided by him. Hallelujah. This old, you know, this was all in response to increase our faith. I made reference to how we train, we train, we train, we train, we train. God is training us. Romans chapter 1 verses, or excuse me, 12 verses 1 and 2 I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual 
service of worship. The word translated worship there is the word liturgy. Oh, it's the, one, the word from which we get our word liturgy. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. That's rendered, the metamorpho there is rendered in the passive. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind so you may prove, you may discover and demonstrate what the will of God is. That which is good and acceptable and perfect. This is not the good will of God versus the acceptable will of God versus the perfect will of God. That is not in, in view here. There is no such thing. He says the will of God is good. The will of God is acceptable. And the will of God is perfect. Amen. Now what I want to do here is I want to take a look at verse 2. And don't be conformed. Don't be squeezed into this world's mold. And then I love, as you know, if you've gone to church here any period of time at all, I translate the word for uh, to transform, metamorpho. I translate that in the middle voice rather than the passive voice, which they are both spelled the, th the same. It's only the context which would tell you the difference. And so I am not harming the text. And do not be conformed to this world, but transform. Form yourselves in your own interest by renewing your minds. With what? The word of God. Amen. Now, what is, what, you know, not just our, you know, uh, it, it, there's that idea that I'm, it is a present ongoing. I should be in the scriptures every single day. Yes. Remember Jesus washed the disciples feet. Just before he went to heaven. Why would they, why, why would he wash their feet? What's on their feet? Dirt. From the world. It's symbolism. That they would wash, they would wash the feet of guests. When he got up to wash, it was a menial task. It was such a menial task that Peter was completely shocked and put off by it. And said, never shall you wash my feet. And Jesus said, well, if I don't wash your feet, then you don't have any part in me. Well, you know, Peter, he goes from one ditch straight over into the other one. You know, I got, you know, I'm same way, you know. OK, well, not just my feet, but my hands and my head. No, Peter, because it is the feet that come in contact with the world. I mean, you with me. And so daily by the washing of the water of the word, we need to wash Allow by being in that word, reading and meditating on, having a daily routine in that word. Why? Because the word, the world rather, is the, it, living in this world, particularly nowadays, is corrosive to our faith. It will destroy your confidence. It will destroy your hope. If you stay away long enough, it will suck the spiritual life right out of you. And so... We come and we, we, that's part of the way we train. Psalm 107, 20, the, the Lord, Yahweh, sent his word and healed them and delivered them from all their destructions. A lot of people are waiting for God to do something for him and he wants them to continue to feed their faith to the point that they can reach out and take it. Amen. Woo! Pastors wound up. Turn to your, somebody and say, no more coffee for him. 1 Thessalonians 2.13, for this reason we constantly thank God that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is. The word of God, which performs its work in you who believe. It is performing its work. 
We used to sing that song. His word is working mightily in me. How many of you remember that old song? And it's true. Romans chapter 10 and verse 17. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. New King James Version. Faith comes by hearing, not having heard. How many times have you read in the Bible? You've read a passage of scripture that you've probably read 200 times, 300 times. And some, suddenly as you're reading it for the 302nd time, something presents itself. You go, whoa, when did that get in there? When you and I are in the scripture devotionally, we're not looking up something to preach to somebody. It's devotionally. We are reading that word devotionally. We are fellowshipping with God. We are communing with God around his word. And it's perfectly all right when you see something in there that you don't quite understand to say, Lord, what does that mean? Amen. We are, and if we don't, if we're not in the scripture every day, we are cutting off. We are taking that, that opportunity for God to transform us out of his hands. We're cutting off. That, 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 it's, it's like we're, you know, the, there are all kinds of mags of ammo, magazines of ammo right there available. And we, ah, you know, later. Yeah, I'll tell you what, you get in a big furry hairball. You know, they talk about it, you know, that this dog fight was like a knife fight in a telephone booth. Think about just just visualize that you, when you get in, when you get in a situation that is that intense. You know, I, I heard a guy say one time that faith does not grow as fast as hair. Actually, he said hide doesn't grow as fast as hair and I co-opted it because he was talking about a motorcycle accident and how you fall and you get road rash. And that you discover that hide does not grow as fast as hair. And I went, oh, that's good for faith. Faith doesn't grow as fast as hair. And you've got to feed your faith. Just think about this. If you quit eating protein and you quit eating properly, the first thing that happens is your hair starts falling out. Are you with me? Yes, it's true. You get, when you get on a protein deficient diet, your hair will suffer. Everybody except Jim, of course. All right, <laughs> who didn't have, who doesn't have any up there to begin with. So, and so if I, you know, and I, it shouldn't be a surprise to me that if I am not feeding on God's word, what did, what did Job say? I have desired your word more than my necessary food. And if I'm not feeding on that word every day, strengthening my spirit, feeding my faith, strengthening that within me. I, Romans chapter 12 and verse 2. I will not do verse 1. I will not present my body as a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God. Because it takes faith to do that. We are to offer our physical bodies as sacrifices. I know some people think that, well, God doesn't really require. I read the book, The Shack. God never placed any requirements on anybody. Never, never placed any you know, expectations on anybody. I don't know what Bible that came from. But I can tell you it's not the Bible that was handed down to us in the Judeo-Christian 
movement. It, because the Lord has plenty of expectations and that's what his grace is about, is enabling us to do that. It has been kicked to the curb as old school to walk in holiness or to be really plugged in in church and to be ministering in and, and putting your hand to it and being, you know, and, and allowing the church in the after the covid pandemic. You've heard me say this before. I read in Tom Rainer's uh, uh, newsletter that they did a it, it wasn't a scientific survey and they said so. They said, but the best we can determine. Post covid. That of the people who were regularly in church, engaged, giving and working and everything that after covid 30 percent of those people came back and reengaged. 40% of those people kind of come in and out, in and out, in and out. 30% of them just spun off into the ether and nobody knows what happened to them. So the church took a big hit during COVID. Brethren, these things ought not to be so. When these kind of things come, that is when the church is supposed to rise up stronger than ever before. We saw it here. We, we lost a few, but we didn't have anything like that happen. And I thank God for it because apparently we need to change the church, the name of the church to Remnant Christian Fellowship. Everybody say God's good. Did you know, can you imagine sending, being a, you know, uh, being a, uh, on a sea, big, big transport airplane with all the paratroopers in there and they're getting ready to jump. And imagine this, if you would, the commanding officer standing there with a very worried expression on his face. And one of the, you know, the, like a command sergeant major or a, a master sergeant walks up and says, everything okay, sir? Well, I'm just a little bit worried. Why? Well, I'm not sure how these guys are going to do. Why is that? Well, because for the last three years, uh, none of these guys has even held a rifle. We've been training virtually. Trained from home. How many of you would be... I mean, no, I, good, good evening, ladies and gentlemen. This is a Boeing 757. It, it will seat 375 people. We have a full load today. We're going to be flying from Kansas City to Seattle. We expect the flight to last this long, etc. This is my very first flight as captain, and I'm really excited about it because I've been training from home by extension. I've never actually been, I've been using the computer thing. I've never really flown the airplane, but it's all going to be good because I've got the card that says I'm ready. <laughs> show, show me the door. <sighs> no, soldiers have to train the real deal. You've seen it in the movies when, particularly in World War II, they would have infantry crawling through pig guts. They'd have the barbed wire, gun, 50 cows shooting over their heads, and they're crawling through pig entrails. To prepare them for the gruesome gore that battle can be. 
It just got really quiet. Those of you watching by internet, it got really quiet in this room. Because they were doing their best to make it as real as it could possibly be. Romans chapter 8. I'll begin to wind this down. Please do. Okay. But we're nowhere near done, but I'll begin to wind it down. I, I so miss Marianne. Let me close. <laughs> Which meant nothing. <laughs> this is no kid. I think I've, I've shared this before. Uh, Gene was there that day. We were over, uh, over, over, was it Amos? I can't remember where we were, over in the Kansas side. Marianne took the minister's meeting that started at 9 o'clock, and she preached straight through till 1230. Three and a half hours without stopping. And I was sitting there going, I hope she dismisses soon or there's going to be a mess. All that coffee wanted out. Poor Bob got up and walked out at one point because, I mean, it's like, you know, he just, it, 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 he, and he's such a sweet man. He would never do anything. To, but, I mean, it just got to the point he had to take care of business. Three and a half hours. No, I do not set my sights on that as an achievement. <laughs> Romans chapter 8, verse 12. So then, brethren, we are under obligation not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Now listen to this. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. That's what we started with. Best blessed are the peacemakers, right? Come back to that. What is a hidden nugget here? And if you've been to church here any period of time, you know this. That the word translated sons here, the word huios or huioi in the plural, means the mature, the grown, adult children. Spiritually mature children of God. He goes on in verse 16 to say the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we're children of God. The Holy Spirit, once we're born again, even if we're carnal and very spiritually immature, the Spirit still testifies with our spirit. We have the inward witness that we now belong to God. Everybody say amen. But the one who will renew their mind in their own interest, Romans 12, 2, and will present their bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is our reasonable or spiritual service of worship. This is the mature. This is the one who is a son. And that includes you, ladies. Son of God. Not just a child of God. A grown child. One of the, one of the, there's a guy I like to watch on, on uh, uh, YouTube who's a big football. Well, he's just a sports fan and everything. And when somebody does something really good, he will say, you know, like, Patrick Mahomes is a grown man. Well, you know what? I want to hear that when I want to hear the angels saying that to each other about me. Boy, Kevin McMullen is a grown man. Not some little whiny. We're going through the whiny stage at our house right now. How many of you remember the children have a tendency to go through whining? You can't even understand what they're saying because they're whining. 
So just stop whining and speak like it. Like this. Thank God our Father is patient. God is patient. God is kind. And I know that a lot of my prayers through the years have sounded like that. I've even had God say to me, stop whining. That was a long time ago. But I still lived in the house. I'm, I, I, was, I was living in the house that we're, we're, we're in now. So it wasn't like 40 years or anything. But it, it was longer than 20 years ago. Literally praying and complaining. And he said, stop whining. That's the only thing God said to me in the whole time I was down there. You know, it's like, okay, now he's going to talk to me. No. He already did. The mature. We're, you know, we're trained. We're disciplined. We've, we're cultivating faith. We're cultivating obedience if our musicians would come. The mature will hold their tongue. Boy, is that ever a gift today. We talked about not complaining. That's the difference between God's army and regular armies is in the United States Army and every other army, I think, in the world. Complaining is raised to an art form. We could, we could bellyache, but that is not a fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and bellyaching. Okay, which one of these does not belong? <laughs> Amen. Why? Because we're sons of light. We're sons of God. We're ambassadors for Christ. 2 Corinthians 5. Oh, but wait, there's more. And if we do next week on this subject, it'll be an epilogue. We'll kind of cover some of the same, do a synopsis. But I am so glad to see revival beginning to break out among the young people. Years and years ago, God told this prophet that I've kind of watched, followed his ministry off and on. Before, I mean, probably 20 years ago or longer, he had a vision. He was standing up teaching a Bible class and they looked and, he saw, and the class went away. And he saw a stadium like Arrowhead absolutely jam-packed with young people worshiping God with all of their heart, all of their soul. All of their mind, all of their strength. And he said when the meeting was over and it was breaking up and they were going out, he said it was like they were balls of fire going out into the night. That's us. But young people, particularly in this nation, in the West in particular, they have not many times been trained in holiness, in righteousness, in uprightness, in good theology that sets them free rather than the bad theology that leaves people in bondage. They need a, they need a more experienced, they need a steadier, more seasoned hand. That's why army platoons, fire teams, and companies have non-commissioned officers to put their hand on the new guy and say, calm down, it's going to be all right. Follow me. 
Watch what I do. We're going to move, fire, and communicate. We're going to win this thing. You've been trained. Now let it, how many of you know what I'm saying? Psalm 71. In you, verse 1, in you, O Yahweh, I have taken refuge. Let me never be ashamed. In your righteousness, deliver me and rescue me. Incline your ear to me and save me. Be to me a rock of habitation to which I may continually, everybody say continually, continually come. You have given commandment to save me for you are my rock and my fortress. Rescue me, O God, out of the hand of the wicked. Oh, that's an entirely good prayer today. Out of the grasp of the wrongdoer and the ruthless man. For you are my hope, O Lord Yahweh. You are my hope. You are my what? Confidence. From my, yeah, see the pastor's been talking about that. Well, guess what? It's in the scripture. Confidence from my youth. By you, I have been sustained from my birth. You are he. Who took me from my mother's womb. My praise is continually of you. I have become. Listen to this. I have become a marvel to many. For you are my strong refuge. God wants to make you a marvel. God wants to make your life amazing. God wants people to see. How come, how come you aren't knee deep in this with the rest of us? How come it isn't the meteors aren't falling on your head? Keep reading here. My mouth is filled with your praise. Uh, is filled with your praise and with your glory all day long. Look at this. Do not cast me off in time of old age. Amen. Do not forsake me when my strength fails. This is an elder. This is an elder. Some of you aren't very old and you're already elders in the kingdom because I assure you, you know, 10 times, 100 times more than some people. Some people, you're a lot of people your age and a lot of people a lot older than you. Chronologically. Oh, God, you have taught me from my youth. I'm going to come. I'm going to skip down uh, to. Uh, verse 17. Oh, God, you have taught me from my youth. And I still declare your wondrous deeds. And even when I am old and gray, oh God, do not forsake me. Listen to this. Until I declare your strength to this generation. Your power to all who are to come. God has been preparing the non-commissioned officers. The sergeants who will see this generation because he's sweeping them in. And it's about to get really real out in the world. Scary real. But when people see that you're not afraid. And you even though you're in the midst of the. In the thick of the fray with everyone else. It's not controlling you. It is not destroying you. I guarantee you the Lord knows how to bring people to you. Everybody say amen. Because. The world casts maturity, and when I'm, I'm talking about older folks even, aside as irrelevant. But God has a very different view. Psalm 67, verse 1 says, Be gracious to us 
and bless us. God be gracious to us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon upon us. Verse two, that in order that your way may be known on the earth, your salvation among all nations. Lord, bless us. Lord, love us. Lord, bless, love us, bless us, keep us, prosper us, empower us that all nations may see your hand, may see your glory so that they can come into the ark before the water of the flood comes in earnest. What an awesome time. What an awesome time to be alive. What an awesome time to serve Jesus. And believe me, the sacrifices that you have made through the years, and I don't just mean five or 10 years. Many of us here have been making sacrifices and you've been laboring, making little ones out of big ones for the Lord for 20, 30, 40, 50 years or longer. And God sees that. God has been preparing you for great and mighty things in the last of the last days. And you might say, well, I don't have anything to offer. If you have Jesus, you've got something to offer. Greater is he. Well, I don't know what I would do if things start happening like that. I don't even know my role. You know what? That's fine. You just wait. The Lord will show you your role. You and I don't have to make a way for ourselves. We don't have to figure it out. He knows every, he knows the end from the beginning. I did, you know, it's funny, you know, let's just say that they did the block allocation of the class and somehow they forgot me. And I would go into the personnel office and say, uh, I've got a situation here. I'm graduating next week and I didn't get an assignment. Well, they, they wouldn't look down and say, you didn't? No. Well, I'm sure we assigned everybody. What's your name? Give them my name. And they'd say, well, by golly, you aren't in here. Well, what do you think you'd like to do? Where do you think you'd like to go? I mean, no, it doesn't work that way. They knew exactly who I was, how I did in school, where they wanted to send me. And not only that, they made arrangements for me to be at New York for my port call to get on that Pan American. That'll show you how long ago that was. Pan American 707. Yeah, an airplane that was 300 feet long and four feet across. Uh, all the way to Frankfurt, Germany. And then they had another flight waiting for me there. And then they had somebody to pick me up at the airport and take me to my billet. And there they had a guy meet me with linens for my room, tell me which room I was going to be in and tell me to go ahead and get some sleep because I've been traveling so long and that I would be in the first sergeant's office the next day at 0800. Don't be late. They had a plan. God has a plan and he has not forgotten you or me I want you to say this God has a plan and for me God has a plan for all of his children and look at somebody and say and it's good those of you watching by web if you do not know Jesus Christ of Nazareth as your Lord and Savior I want you to know 
That God is not threatening. I read the other day, some people were complaining that God is threatening people with eternal damnation and that that's not cool. You know what? God's not threatening anybody with anything. He has offered his hand of salvation through Jesus Christ. He has said, if you would accept my sacrifice, if you believe in me, that I will take you from out from under the boot of darkness and bring you into the kingdom of my beloved son. And it doesn't matter how far, how, how horrible you've been or where you've been, etc. God will accept you because he says, those who come unto me, I will in no wise cast out. I want to encourage you to embrace, just say, Father, I believe that Jesus Christ is your son. I believe you've raised him from the dead. And I believe, Father, that eternal life is available to me. Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Be my Lord and be my Savior. And you will be born again. Christian, maybe you're a Christian and maybe you haven't been as engaged. I'm here to tell you, the days of spectating and being able to get by are over because the environment around us is becoming more austere by the minute. And we haven't... If you think things are, are troublesome now, you ain't seen nothing yet. It's distressing. My favorite scripture applies here, but God. He can set a table for you in the, in the wilderness. He can prepare a table before you in the very presence of your enemies. His rod and his staff will come. And though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you need not fear evil. You can be confident because you know he is with you. But you got to do what he says. If he tells you this is the route from A to B, you got to go that route. You can't make your own way because there's a minefield out there and it will take you out. Along the way, he has angelic beings ready to protect. Let's go with them. Let's go with God. Amen and amen. Let's all stand. We hope this message has been a great blessing to you and has helped build your faith in Jesus. We encourage you to visit our app, Independence Christian Center, on your cell phone available from the Apple App Store or Android, Google Play. You can also find us on Apple TV, Roku, Amazon, YouTube, and Facebook, again, under Independence Christian Center, or at our website, iccfamily.org, iccfamily.org. Our heart's desire here is to labor with the Lord in building His body. Until next time, may God's very best be yours.